Hello, and welcome to Faith, Fitness, and French Toast. As always, I'm your host, Moses Allwood. I want to warmly welcome you to the season three finale of the podcast. The purpose of this podcast is simple, to encourage, empower, and inspire athletes of all walks of life in their strength endeavors, faith walk, and of course, their best options for post-workout late-night meals. I'd like to thank my sponsors, Skull Smash Ammonia, Raw Grip Chalk, Tennessee Pre, Primate Apparel, and All-Star Nutrition State College for their consistent support and encouragement. For the best hard-hitting ammonia in the game, there's none better than Steve at Skull Smash. And if you're looking to hit a brutal pull and you need that added grip, Raw Grip's Liquid Chalk is the highest quality on the market right now. If you're like me and you want that focus boost in your training without the caffeine crash, then Tennessee Pre is the pre-workout for you. And I'll swear by this, we are humble, but we are savage. Primate Apparel's mentality of sticking to your guns and standing up to those who do you ill is a vital part of my training. You can head over to any of their Instagram pages to get some products. But today, I have the honor of sitting down with Ed Cohen, holder of over 70 world records and widely renowned as the greatest powerlifter of all time. Despite having since retired from competing, Ed continues to remain a pillar of the powerlifting community, passing on the torch and giving back to the sport that has brought him so much joy over his lifetime. You don't want to miss a single minute of this episode as we talk not only about what it takes to become the best, but what it takes to stay there. So sit back, relax, and let's dive in. Ed, how you doing, man? I'm great today. It's a good day here in Chicago area. That's awesome. Well, I'm honored to, to get the opportunity to finish off this season, you know, with the greatest of all time. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Well, you know, I wonder, you know, we, there may be those rare few uh, who have no idea who I'm interviewing. So I wonder just as we start off, you know, who are you? How did you become, you know, this mogul that we now know in the powerlifting industry? Um, I started off really early, actually, in powerlifting. I was 16 years old. 1980 was my first contest. And I actually had started off before that in bodybuilding. And as soon as I tried powerlifting, I just loved it. It was just part of me. And I was really kind of introverted, probably a little ADD. So it was something I could do by myself and only for myself. And just I could just sit back and observe, which is what I ended up being really, really good at. Mm. And that's pretty much how I learned everything was observing and doing everything myself and feeling it out. Um, and I, I got good really fast. My first meet, like I said, was I was 16 years old and, uh, in 1980. And then by 84, I won my first IPF World Championships. Wow. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, like when, when I, my first year in high school, I was a 98-pound wrestler. And when I started lifting, I started gaining weight. So by my, my sophomore year, I was already like 130 pounds. And I was like, I'm not going to go back to wrestling. I'm huge now. Right. <laughs> You don't want to go back to being the shrimp again, you know, once you start getting yeah. weight. I was already 130 pounds jacked. So uh, that's when I started powerlifting. I just, it was like, a, like they say, a duck to water. I just, I just loved it. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and obviously since then, you've gone on to accumulate, I mean, countless world records. You know, you, you go anywhere, it's going to be 70 to 75 to 80. I'm sure at this point you've probably lost track. Uh, I, don't even, I, never, I never ever counted them because there was, there was like a, a meet or two where I, I, I'd set seven in one, in one contest. Wow. So I didn't, that, didn't, that wasn't my main objective. My main objective all the time was to do what I was capable of. I didn't really care about the numbers as much as I did just doing what I knew I could do. That was yeah. the whole, that was the whole excitement in it. I liked training more than I did competing. Yeah. And, and well, and I wonder speaking to that, how much influence do you think that had even in the longevity of you lifting longer, as opposed to those who are, who prefer the competition over the grit of training in day in, day out? Uh, I'm much, much longer, especially because we had no social media. Yeah. You know, I, I think a, a quote I had was, I respect a guy who, who puts up sets of five that he did and stick to his training uh, program more than I do someone that maxes out and goes crazy because right. you're not really, you're not teaching anyone anything. If you keep doing all this these crazy lifts all the time, what routine are you on that you're trying to sell to everyone else? You're yeah. not because it's not sustainable. Yeah, it isn't. 
Yeah, well, and and I think you were the one to say. I literally messaged someone yesterday and wanted to double check. I was like, I think Ed said this. So you can correct me if I'm wrong, but in saying, you know, you only have a set amount of maximal effort lifts in you when you're yes. alive. Yeah, there there has to be. It's like you know how many how many Olympics you, can you peak out for? You know how many times can you do that greatest sprint of your life or have that Michael Jordan moment? Uh, there comes a time where it's not in you anymore. So save them for when it's right. The whole object is to not test yourself all the time in, in a max way, but it's to train and get bigger and stronger and better. Yeah. So, I mean, speaking to that a little bit more, I mean, I know you're someone who, you know, right in that same idea, chose to actively not be training at that 95, 80, 98%, 100% because you want to do it on the platform. I mean, that's where it matters. Ultimately you can squat 900 pounds in training, but if you can't do it in competition, it's not worth jack shit. So not really only in social media nowadays, does it matter if if it's a deadlift, you can use straps and still get credit for it online. (laughs) Right. Don't get me wrong. I do appreciate using straps every once in a while, but not all of us have those enormous hands that you've managed to to, to pull off your whole life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can still do like a three finger palm on a basketball. It's, I'm only it's I'm only about five six. <laughs> it's, well, and, and you know, you you kind of did get those perfect proportions, almost like you were curated in the lab. You know, for for powerlifting. I mean, you see these guys who uh, I feel like increasingly are branching out. You know, these guys are coming in from football. They're coming in from basketball. They're retiring and realizing, man, I can pick up heavy stuff and then go compete and maybe win money, but they don't have these proportions. So for people who, who may have, you hear those excuses all the time, I have bad leverages. I mean, is, is there really any weight to that? Or is it really just, hey, you just didn't work that hard for it? Only really if your like, arms are really, really short yeah. or small hands, then it's going to be a little bit more of a problem. <clears throat> but for, for me, I've got really long arms. At, at 220, and that's like a legit 220, with two-hour weigh-ins at the uh, USPF Nationals that was run under the IPF one year, mm-hmm. I, in a full meet, I still bench 545 raw. So, I mean, your top guys aren't doing that nowadays with the two-hour weigh-in. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> so, but I never said, oh, my arms are long. I'm not going to bench. Mm-hmm. My object was only I'm going to get better every time, every week, every month. I'm going to get better. That's all I cared about. Yeah. Well, and, and I know you, you ended up kind of shifting to more of a, a close grip bench because that's what proved effective for you in long arms. I see someone like James Strickland does the same thing. And obviously, I mean, it proves effective. You just got to do what works for your body type. What feels right. Uh, when, I, the only th- when I switched it later on and tried to go wider and develop more technique, that actually hurt my bench more than anything. Yeah. Like, no, it's just not me. Yeah. Well, and, and there is, I mean, I think there's just so much variation. I mean, you've got the, the Sean Noriega on one side who can do that absolute maximum width and it works great for him. But then, yeah, you do see the other people who yeah. it's as narrow you got as it some, gets. Like, uh, there's some really like great, like uh, uh, more Asian lifters and mm-hmm. one lifter, there, there's a, a, a girl from uh, Germany who was a world record holder, um, Gundula uh, von Bacchus. And you look at, there's a Swedish guy, a young guy named Eddie Berglund. He used to be on the Swedish team when, when uh, they used to compete with me back in the old days. It's his son, this guy. And he's a multi-world record in the, in the bench press. And his arch and his width grip is like unbelievable. But it's legal. Yeah. So, no problem. You know, I'm really glad you mentioned that because I think <laughs> there's so much controversy now and it is a social media age. You know, as you said, everyone's posting things so yeah. that people acknowledge them online more so than actually training to compete. But you see all these people who are like, ah, oh, you arch so much. Oh, you pull sumo. Oh, you didn't hit, yeah. hit depth. And I mean, you obviously do all this refereeing of these top level competitions. I mean, at the end of the day, what, what would you say your perspective is on all that, you know, in, in the legalities, then people really being like, ah, that's just kind of body manipulation. You're not actually doing the all the All the guys that talk all that crap are the guys that can't do it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, they, they, they actually, like, uh, sumo style, oh, you're a cheater. That actually started off as a joke. And mm. some people take it to ex- extreme now because they can't. Yeah. That's all. I did both. Just to prove to myself I could do both. 
but no, it's 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 the rules. That's the way it is. Like saying, oh, you're not allowed to, to uh, jump this high anymore. You're not allowed to do this stance when you shoot a free throw, or you're not allowed to to do this move in football or whatever. Or you know, it's like people are just making stuff up just because they're bored or they're just miserable themselves. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's a good word. I mean, ultimately you, you can't because if you end up listening to everybody, you know, I was chatting with someone just a couple of weeks ago, Matt Mitchell, who said, uh, you know, he spent a long time thinking he needed to prove people wrong, but he realized at a certain point, those people were always going to exist. And so he's now out to prove those who believed in him. Right. And he's like, man, I've seen so much more progress since that, instead of ignoring all the other, all the yeah. shit talkers that are always going to exist. You if, know, regardless you, if, if you take someone that talks crap, let's say, in a deadlift mm-hmm. and they do conventional and they start bitching about sumo right say uh why do you do conventional what's their answer going to be i uh, pull better there you go yeah so you ask a guy that pulls sumo why does he pull sumo His because, because he pulls be it better, better. yeah yeah, I mean, and, and, and there's the truth in that. But unfortunately, I think we're increasingly living in a, in a time which people <laughs> don't see sense as readily as yeah, you know, it's in front they of them. Just take, people just take it to an extreme because yeah. they can type it on their phone and, uh, and anonymity or whatever. Yeah. This, this, week, this weekend, uh, a couple of days, I'll, I'm on my way to uh, South Bend to judge all, those, all the gigantic benchers, the best benchers in the world. It's awesome, man. Like there, you know, I think, and I honestly, I think bench for me is something where, you know, a good friend of mine, um, Duncan Hunley was supposed to be competing at IPF bench worlds, uh, which obviously then got postponed and pushed back because of COVID. Uh, And so he's having to requalify and everything. But as I've seen him train, you know, just speaking to that bench. It's stupid that he would have to requalify though. Oh, I absolutely agree. (laughs) Like it's, it's absurd, but he's, um, yeah, unfortunately, it's that IPF ruling. They're like, ah, you have to try again. So yeah, that's that, that's a way for someone to get more money out of you. Yes. Oh, I agree. We ran into the issue with collegiate nationals this year. I uh, just graduated from Liberty University, so it was the last year, and it was our whole thing. Hey, we're not going to give you refunds. Like you're going to have to do it again. I was like, you got to be kidding me, man. And so no it's refund. How oh, lovely. Yeah, it's it's so disheartening. But I mean, it's the reality. I mean, I guess somebody's yeah. got to make a buck. Uh, you know, I'm not going to speak bad against any federation, but it's just definitely frustrating to witness. Yes. Um, but, you know, in seeing him prepare for bench, you know, really is, you know, you see people squat heavy, you see people deadlift heavy. I honestly, I think for me is watching someone bench heavy is probably the most impressive lift for me because it's something about, you know, Bill Gillespie, uh, football coach there, there yeah. at Liberty. Uh, I'll, actually, I'll actually be at a meet with him uh, next week at his home gym with 365 Strong. <laughs> Ask him why he used to do so much back work. Yeah, he had this conversation with me actually just a few months ago. I competed in February with him, and he said, he said, Moses, I want you to start blasting your rear delts three times a week. And I was like, why? He goes, it's like cheating how much it's going to help your bench. But you he said the I exact started, same thing. Do you know why I started doing all the back work? Why is that? Me. You told him to do the back work. Man, I knew him when he was like 240 pounds. Uh, that was a, <laughs> that's a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's worked though. Obviously. I mean, the guys, the guys multiply in over a thousand pounds. I mean, it's unbelievable. You, the way I trained was I had to have everything strong. Yeah. My, my ego alone wouldn't allow me to be weak at inclines or shoulder presses or triceps or bent over rows. I had to have everything strong as heck. And that's how I approached it. So I could make this suit of armor that wherever you hit was a chunk of strong, hard muscle. Yeah. Well, and, and I know I stumbled across a conversation with James, uh, James Stockson, your old chiropractor. Yeah. Uh, just in him saying, you know, how much he, he just, he wanted everything locked in tight. I was just working over you regularly. I mean, you went six years breaking world records with no injuries. Yeah. What, see, I, I used to go to his dad and then James had graduated school and he came in, he says, oh, I'll take you on. And he treated me for free. He's always been really good to me. Mm. And uh, we developed a technique where when, whenever I saw him, and he lived like five minutes away or the, uh, the, the office, and we would start on my feet and work up. And that's how he developed all that stuff that he does with feet. I mean, what's that 
that one famous guy who was in, ahead of the Wiggles, you know, that, that yeah, kid? Yeah, I know, I know who you're talking about. He, like, literally saved that guy. The guy would fly him over to Australia. Wow. James fixed his whole life because he started with his feet and then worked up and found the abnormalities down there first that led to other problems. Yeah. So I was James's experiment. <laughs> and a successful experiment, we might add. It did yeah, work. Yeah, it, pa- yeah. it paid off, unfortunately. Yeah, we were really good together. We were really good together. He's a really good guy. Well, so with that, I want to touch on kind of on, on the recovery. You know, training's the fun part, obviously. Everybody loves going in and feeling big weight, but no one likes doing the actual work that requires, you know, sleeping well, actually eating well, recovering smart. What have you found to be most successful and tangible, t- you know, communication I, for people to do that? I loved all the other part because yeah. then, then I went to the gym and it was like a re- reward for me. Mm-hmm. I felt great. I, I did everything fantastic. You know what? Uh, to quote Stan Efforting, uh, he's one of my partners in crime when we do out, go out and do a lot of seminars. Yeah. And he said the way, because of his diet and his 10 minute walks and what he does now, he says he feels almost guilty because he feels so good now. Yeah. And you know, I was, I was, it, was, it was easy. It was easy. I mean, mm-hmm. I'd be making myself a steak at midnight before I went to bed in the old days, just to make sure I got more, more protein in because I wasn't, a, I've never been a big eater. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but at the end of the day, that's what you got to do. And too many people don't want to do that anymore because it's difficult. It's not convenient for them, you know, yeah. in their casual life, they'd rather go out and, you know, party, drink, whatever, because it's convenient. No one wants to wake up at 2 a.m. and remember, man, I'm still missing 50 grams of protein. I'm going to go cook a steak. I would do that in the middle of the night. I'll, I, I, I Drink a, a protein shake in the middle of the night, no problem. Yeah. It's got to be done. It, it does. It has to be. And, you know, it's, it's an unfortunate – obviously, it, it, it worked, but too many people – they just don't want to because it's, it's tough. It's difficult. It's not convenient. It's ruins. How many, their, their of, perfect the, how many idea. of them are great? None of them. There you go. Yeah. Well, so, and, and this comes into this next topic here, you know, we see so many people kind of blow up out of nowhere. You know, they're, they're a freak at squat. They're a freak at deadlift. I think of, you know, Jamal Browner came out of nowhere and now this guy's yeah. ripping a thousand pounds. Like it's nothing. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Which is awesome to watch. Uh, I mean, it's it's like I feel like I'm watching those videos over and over again because he just eases yeah, so right into that. I wish I had that deadlift bar when I was younger. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I bet. <laughs> you, I mean, you would have been ripping significantly more uh, than nine hundred. <laughs> it it would have been it would have been more, but you know, I'll, I'll never take anything away from the guys now. I mean, strong is strong. You can't take away from someone. People look for all kinds of excuses why someone is better or something like that. The reality is, you know. I'm happy with what I did and the way I did it. Yeah. And that's it. I'll shake someone's hand any day who just tries. Absolutely. All you got to do is put forth some effort and you got my backing. Absolutely. Well, and, and, you know, in that, you know, people blow up, become famous, you know, for a couple of years, but then they disappear. They kind of fall off, you know, they, they peak really fast and then they, they kind of fall off. Yeah. You've, you've managed to, you became the best, but you've stayed there you know, consistently over a period, I mean, decades, what, yeah. what was the differentiator in not only just becoming the best and falling off, but becoming the best and staying there? I, I took my time. And after every contest or training cycle, I went back and did a whole new training cycle that rebuilt me, that I laid a base, a stronger base each and every time out with almost a, a, every, with every muscle group and almost every exercise I knew that would transfer over to help me with the other you know, with, with the squat bench deadlift. But I, and I never did, I never stopped doing that. Mm-hmm. Never, ever. And yeah. then you, I, I'd write out a program and I'd have every single set rep and weight and exercise laid out for the whole training cycle before I even started. And I'd stick to it and never miss. Yeah. So there were no changes. Once you start, you're like, Hey, I'm committed to this. I'm going to nope. do the entire if, block. If, no if, your is, if your objective is to squat 900 at the end of the training cycle, if you train, change anything mid or three quarters of the way through, it affects the outcome immediately. Yeah. So you could overtrain, you could peak too early, something, or who knows? So nope. Yeah, no. I, and, and that's good. Well, and so with that peak, you know, w- w- 
when you, most people, you know, if they're, especially if they're a competitive lifter, they're going to peak just in time for the competition. They compete, but then you see the people two days later, they're like, oh, I had more in me. And then they just go hard in the gym two days later. They hurt themselves. Yeah. Well, can you name any? <laughs> I mean, I, I can think of people, like I'm, people that I know personally. Yeah, there's not, there's not a lot of them that are really, really good lifters. Right. Oh, yeah, exactly. And, and so, I, you know, I wonder, you know, that first, you know, probably 72 hours after a competition, what is the most important things people can be doing to then prepare for the next cycle? I mean, after a competition? Yeah, like right after a competition, about, those first few about days. About three, three, three days after a competition, I'll go in the gym and I'll do a real light squat bench deadlift, really, really light, just as an active recovery. So then the following week, I can start training again, fresh, and I feel great. So, so you would say take the full week post-competition, nice, light, active recovery, and take a full week before you start the next cycle. Yeah. I yeah. tried to take a lot of time off, and that didn't feel good at all. It actually made it worse. Yeah. You get used to just resting around, and it just – Yeah, like your body your is like – you got to revamp the whole, your whole body system again, it seems like. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are feeling that now post quarantine, everyone's going back into the gym. They're like, holy shit, it's been three yeah. months and I only did push ups." <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, take, take six weeks to get back in shape to where you can start training again. Yeah. I know. I think that's good because otherwise you do, you get into the situation, you get overzealous. You're like, man, yeah. I haven't gotten to lift in forever. I'm gonna put 90% on my back. Yeah. Tear let your me ACL. Test myself, see where I'm at. Exactly. I've heard that so many times in the last week. I'm going to test myself. I'm like, please don't. <laughs> Let me see how far I can go before I get hurt. Yeah, exactly. You're like, oh, something popped. I'll, I'll put it back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Now you just missed another two weeks of training. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, on that same topic of recovery, I think the area that a lot of people forget is the mental side of it. You know, you get into that last week of training for a competition, then you, people start slipping into the mental energy obviously you're not training as much you're doing the active recovery leading up to a meet but after normal training sessions what does it look to properly mentally recover and prepare for upcoming training sessions competitions etc if you lay down a really nice training cycle and you don't miss your reps because you weren't overzealous at all mm -hmm. then usually that builds positive mental attitude yeah so then what happens there is you're prepared but all along, you should be prepared for every single workout throughout a whole training cycle. If you're prepared, it sets up to have a positive outcome, which gives you a more positive attitude. Mm -hmm. So it builds and builds and builds and builds. There was a meet in 1985 in Hawaii where, I mean, I was like 193 pounds. Mm -hmm. And I walk under a squat bar for like my heaviest one. And as I'd get under there, I started grit grinning because I knew when I grabbed the bar that I was going to get it. Yeah. I was that confident. Yeah. And you, you would directly attribute that to, hey, I didn't defer from the plan. Right. I was ready. I was I, mentally and physically, I wasn't burnt out at all. Mm -hmm. If you'll easily get burnt out mentally, which will cause negative influences to fly through your head if you overtrain. Yeah. And, you know, with this influx of everybody in, in the social media era that we keep kind of coming back to, in the influx of lifters, influxes of quote-unquote coaches, I think we see more overtraining because people don't necessarily trust the system as much because they want to promote for their followers, fan base, grow, et cetera. Yeah, but your, your end results are what's really going to give you that big, huge fan base. Oh, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Unless you, unless you got a, a really, really nice ass or something <laughs> else, then you don't really need to lift too much. Yeah, unless we're all, you know, wearing those short shorts like Garrett Fear, you know, our views aren't, <laughs> aren't going up the same, you know? Yeah. Well, that's you true. Know, yeah, I mean, I swear, every time I see him post a video, he's wearing a little bit less clothes than he was the week before. So, you know, I'm wondering when the OnlyFans is going to come out next. See, this man's going to drop something new. Probably but. already has one. <laughs> that's also, it's the side income. In <laughs> now, that is a site I think the internet does not need to see ever. But, well, uh, I'm sure a certain portion will like it. A certain, yeah, something. Oh, yeah, we'll move on. <laughs> but, you know, 
obviously you come from a generation of lifters who I think a lot of people look at now as they are the hardcore, the elite, the Louis Simmons generation, Bill Kazmaier. What have you seen as you've seen the sport develop, grow, as more people have gotten more attention, more media attention, what are the biggest changes you think you've seen, even just the mental dynamic of, of lifters over the last 30 years? There's a, a lot of programming changes. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot more uh, volume in the three lifts than there used to be. Yeah. Uh, in, the old, in the old days, a lot of it was based on a lot of bodybuilding with just some heavy squat benches and deadlifts. Nowadays, it's a little bit, it's a little bit more uh, selectorized and, and uh, I would say that it's, it's more just focused on those lifts. And I, I think people, they get stronger faster, but I think they'll last longer if they, they do a little bit more variation to get some other lifts, some other things stronger that would pay off. And I notice a lot of, there's a few top guys that I respect very much that have been letting that creep back into their workouts mm -hmm. seems to be helping. Yeah. And, and with that, I mean, how much do you see the use of consistent cardiovascular activity proving beneficial for strength athletes? Cause a lot of people will avoid it completely. You just, I, I like what Stan does with walks. Yeah. Um, in the off season, when I was at my best, I never really did cardio. I should say never really. I never did. Mm -hmm. I would just do training cycles where I took, really short rest periods. So I was in enough shape for powerlifting, but it doesn't mean I was in shape. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, like I, I know all too well. <laughs> like I can't do the splits, but I can be flexible enough to do a full squat. Sure. So, you know, there's different, there's different ways to judge it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the ability or uh, what do we call it? Your jailhouse strong, you know, you're able yeah. to be strong in a, in a garage but you know maybe not in the same well Usain Bolt's still gonna cook you in a race you know oh yeah definitely well of course I mean granted he'd cook anyone but you know follow my yeah. point well you know and, and along those same lines I think we've seen a shift you know the use of geared lifting I feel like was more had more traction early on than it has kind of the shift to, to raw lifting yeah it's, it's faded out a lot because uh raw is cheaper and it's uh faster to run yeah contests yeah, you're not having to pull the suits on, and I mean it's a whole. Yeah. I mean it's a whole other beast. A lot of people don't understand. Yeah. And I mean, obviously you've you've done some some stuff, single ply and all that. So, how have you, as you've done both, which would you say you actually would prefer training it? The, the old single ply single ply was pretty easy to get on, which is a lot different than today's single ply. Sure. Um, it's just it's just what everyone did, so you did it. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, it's, that's why pe people, I, I can see people getting caught up in bad judging and stuff, but I don't really give a crap what anyone wears as long as they're having fun and they're doing what they love. For sure. Um, the judging is another story, but yeah, to, it, who am I to judge anybody on how they should live their life and have fun doing it? As Absolutely. long as they're powerlifting, I'll help them and I'll clap for them. Yeah. Well, and I think that's such an important mindset to have because not many people, ha for some weird reason, not many people have that mindset. And, and it's sad because I do think it's a sport. That, yeah, I mean, it's everyone is just getting stronger. Everyone's just becoming a stronger version of themselves regardless of how they're doing it. But they, for some they reason. To, they have to let their ego go yeah. and stop being so threatened and offended by everybody. Yeah. No, I do agree completely. Like I said, what I said at the beginning, I didn't care about the numbers as much as as long as they reflected what i knew i could do mm -hmm. so i was just very fortunate that my numbers were ahead of everyone else at the time yeah well and you happen to have you know kind of going back to the beginning you really did have a natural strength to begin with that really gave you that that head start over a lot of people i think i was really really stubborn and i have really really good focus yeah yeah. And, and do you think, you know, that, that focus, uh, I mean, obviously stubbornness is one thing, but if you look at your stubbornness, if you know, you know what, damn it, I'm going to become the best and your focus, which of these do you think drove you the most to you truly becoming the best? Well, you could say anything you want, but if you don't have the focus, you're not going to carry it out. Absolutely. 
So focus is more important. Yeah. Well, you know, on, on that front end, did you feel like, and I mean, obviously, I, I mean, I certainly wasn't alive at the time, but where was that support coming as far as your family, as far as your friends? Did you feel like there was an encouragement They all for loved you? it. Everyone loved it. That's awesome. Especially when I started to win. Then I was everyone's superhero. Yeah. <laughs> so incredible that they couldn't think of, especially when I travel or set world records or and he beat the Russians. Mm. Oh, my God. You know, it would be something like that. But even before you winning, <laughs> were they still on board before the winning, or is it when the winning happened that they realized, yeah, oh, they, holy they, shit? <laughs> they, everyone thought it was it was it was really cool. That's it was awesome. Really cool because it was so different. But they saw how much I loved it and they supported me a hundred percent. Yeah. Well, and so I wonder how much did that then influence even as you've you know stopped compete obviously competing and shifting more to the refereeing, the coaching, the influencing. How much has that led on to you? really being willing to give back and continue to build those relationships. Um, it's easy to give back to nice people and to do what you love. Yeah. It's just easy. It's, and you know, in, in one respect, it's, it's, you're, you look like a really, really nice guy. And then the others, in the other respect, it's uh, completely selfish because it makes me feel really, really good. <laughs> right. Right. It's a two edged sword. So it's you know, the win win thing. Yeah. No, but I really, I really enjoy helping. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Well, cause I think sometimes, you know, people retire, they finish, they leave a sport and they kind of just fade away. They kind of, they move back to, especially not so much in powerlifting and powerlifting. I feel like there is more of that community aspect, but you know, football, basketball, golf, et cetera, they kind of fade away into their mansion. They kind of go do their thing, do a couple of things, disappear. But frequently these legends of powerlifting industry, I mean, there is, it, it's a, it's a desire to continue the legacy uh, and this has really been a theme, you know, over the last few interviews I've had with people is a, what does it tangibly look like to leave a legacy for the people that are coming up and lifting after you? I, I don't really think about a legacy. I just always thought about it. Just giving back to the sport that mm. made you so happy. Yeah. It's, it's not really hard at all. And, you know, let's, let's say I have to go to Australia. Mm -hmm. Well, what's it like having to travel so much? You know, I'll, I'll, sometimes I'll go, out of the country three, four times a year, besides all the stuff in the States. Doesn't that get tiring? Well, you know, airports can be a little tiring, but you got to remember, you're going to go to a place that's going to pay for your flight, your airfare, your food, pay you money to hear you talk about stuff you don't even have to prepare for because you know so much about it. Right. And they all like you before you even get there, not realizing that you're a complete idiot like them. Yeah. <laughs> pretty I cool mean, it sounds like a win-win it is i met the some of the best people in my life traveling yeah well and and i think back to the first time i met you obviously was at the arnold last year and i was talking to someone yesterday because at the time uh you know being in college i thought it'd be a great idea to to bleach my hair and i don't know if you remember this there's a guy behind Can me I rip you? <laughs> you ripped absolutely i was like i know this guy's just gonna roast me like i just knew it was gonna happen I was like bracing myself. He walks up. He's also got bleach blonde hair. And you go, oh, what, what is this? The fucking Backstreet Boys? <laughs> I just yeah, lost. <laughs> because, but it is, I think, and, and it, there's clearly, you know, as you are interacting with so many other people that there is, there's just so much joy in recognizing that you're, you're able to just pass on to a sport that has really done so much for you and has brought you so much joy. People are appreciating what you did and what you represent. It's not very hard to be nice to people then. Yeah. It's not. If you, if, you, if you have a problem doing that, then you're just a dick and you should just leave everyone alone. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, you do get those lifters, the loners over in the corner who are kind of the hard ass. They're committed to really putting on the show. But there's no – the fan base there is completely alienated because they're like, well, I guess you're just – going to kind of do your thing instead of the person that's like, Hey, you know, I think at powerlifting meets are some of the best opportunities to meet people and develop those yeah. relationships. Yeah. It's fun. People are always powerlifters and you can get all the powerlifters from every federation, multiply, single ply, drug free, not drug free, whatever. And everyone will get along in the same room. Yeah. Well, cause you're united and all loving being under the bar. Yeah. And, and I think some of the best, 
some of the best relationships I think I've built built have been in my competitions. You know, the whether it's like the really young guys who are like in high school and competing for the first time, and they're like, "Hey, man, like, can I use your ammonia?" And I'm like, "Probably not," but like, go for it, man. You know, it's like, but and yeah. the the old heads who are like, "Hey, man, like, by the way, like." you just didn't, you squatted way too deep. And I'm like, no, oh, all right. <laughs> but it's, it's those relationships. That, and then you end up leaving. I know, is, 20 that even, is that even possible to squat too deep? Right. Yeah. I was just opening my taint, man. Like I just went deeper. I don't go. know what the, <laughs> I don't know what the big deal was. Um, but you know, one of my favorite things to ask people, you know, and obviously you've competed countless times. What is your favorite memory ever competing? Um, geez, it's a harder question. It looks like you know, you know what? It, it goes to almost, uh, almost all my meets is I always had my mom and dad there. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Yeah. And they knew to like sit off to one side, not in the front, but behind some people. And my mom knew that she couldn't yell out for me before I did an actual lift because that voice would stand out so much and you would zoom in on it with your ears so bad, your radar. But uh, no, it was, it would probably be something like that. Yeah. So really having that family connection, you know, just as we touched on, you know, 20 minutes ago of just having that support is really what made it so much more enjoyable for you because you knew that it, it was bigger than yourself. It was bigger than just you being under a bar. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then I found someone, my, my girl, um, mm -hmm. Hega, Hega's from Norway, and mm -hmm. she grew up in powerlifting just like I did at the same time. That's awesome. Her, in a completely her, different her, part her, of the world. Yeah, her first meet in Norway was like six months before mine. Wow. She never lets me forget it now. So she's actually been in the sport more than you have. That's yeah, awesome. She, she was really young when she started and was good for, mm -hmm. for Norway. She was good at the time. And uh, so she, she went to the, some IPF Worlds and stuff like that when she was real young. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, granted, if she'd been in the sport longer than you, I, yeah, I wouldn't let you hear the end of it either. So I'm glad she's, <laughs> I'm glad she's holding that yeah. thorn in your side. That's awesome. Uh, well, you know, the flip side of that coin, we have incredible, you know, opportunities in the sport, but there's also moments in which can, can really be devastating. And I wonder, did you, obviously you, you've overcome those, but were there ever any points in which you really did find yourself doubting yourself or was there always a consistent, no, you know, I know I'm going to become the best. Like, were there any moments that really just punched you hard in the gut that you know, maybe people don't recognize when they look at you now? No. Yeah. I, my objective was, it was really just to be better than I was and to take it as far as I could to be the best that I could be. I could yeah. only concentrate on that. I, my objective was not to be better than anyone else it was only to be better than my previous self all the time. Becoming 1% better. That's all. And you do that a whole bunch of years, you get pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. It's fair to say you get 1% better, you know, you go hundred percent, you'd be doing pretty good. Uh, yeah. So, look, you, know, you know, you have, let's say you have five training cycles a year, four or five training cycles a year. You get a little bit better each time, each time your squat bench deadlift, your shoulder press, your bent over roll, your stiff leg deadlift, your high bar close stand squats, your close grips, your dips, all this stuff, every training cycle gets a little bit better. And you mm -hmm. do that, like I said, four or five times a year. What happens at the end of five and 10 years? Mm. Man, you're a monster. Should be astronomically better. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, and, and with that, I, th I think there's a lot of people who, who get that, but there's plenty of people in this, instant gratification, self-centered social media world that, that miss that. And so for those people, especially those young guys, high school, college, early 20-somethings, what is the best advice you can give people? And maybe just what you said of focusing on yourself to, to become the better, those that want to become the best, but maybe you're getting caught up in all this extra yeah, bullshit got, that's you, going on. Take your, take your time and lay down your base. So that's like, you know, dotting your I's and crossing your T's. Mm -hmm. Take your time. Because you're only going to be strong enough as to what your base allows you to be. So make it strong. Yeah. Well, you know, kind of on this, on this back half of the interview, you know, we, we've talked past, we've talked present, but I love looking ahead to the future. And, you know, 
obviously you're not done yet. Your influence in this industry is far from over. And so as you look ahead to, to the future of the sport, you know, what, where do you see this thing going in five, 10, 15 years? I think it's been actually CrossFitters have helped it out a lot because mm-hmm. they all squat, bench, deadlift, do overhead lifts for Olympic weightlifting. There's not as much hate mongering that goes on between Olympic lifting and powerlifting anymore. Yeah, I think there's a little bit, a lot more love. It's respect. I mean, I couldn't do what they did, and yeah. they couldn't do what I did, and I totally get it. Um, there's a lot more other professional sports and all sports that are doing powerlifting exercise, squat, bench, deadlift to get stronger and for rehab. So I think that's only going to, I mean, enhance the hell out of the sport. Mm -hmm. We just got to be careful that there's no, not too many more federations and everyone's on at least closer to the same page or else what happens is the cream rises to the top and all these other federations, hopefully they don't act, that don't follow good rules and stuff. Hopefully they don't act as an anchor to pull down everyone else. Yeah. Well, so in that, you know, we see all of these federations pop up, just as you said, it feels like every, every month there's a new one popping up, small fed, small fed, small. So everyone's got a state record, a world record, a national record. Do you think there's an opportunity for there really to become one federation that people can all really unite under? Do you think it's just really going to keep branching out as the different standards continue? For not, different a, people? not a snowball's chance in hell. <laughs> <laughs> There's too many differences with uh, the biggest difference really is drug testing. Sure. And then the next is equipment and monolift and weigh-ins and judging, you know, yeah. that's it. Pretty much in that order. So I guess in that, you know, if we, if we take the IPF out of the question completely and we look at, I mean, you look at a meet like the Kern where people are going to look at the Kern and they say, Oh man, like this is the best of the best. Or I think of Stacey Burr running the showdown meet here in September, you know, really wanting to bring the best of the best. Where's that at? I think I want to say Buffalo, New York. Oh, okay. Um, I, I want to say it's in September. That might've gotten pushed back because of COVID, but last I heard is in November or yeah, in September. I think it is. Um, so like, I think of those meets, and, and obviously, a lot of the best will kind of rally around that, and they're going to recognize that as really being the pinnacle. I think the same thing is like the Arnold. People think, oh, man, you're at the Arnold. You've, you've done a pretty good job for yourself. But, I mean, beyond that, you think powerlifters are just too stubborn to really unite under one thing because they've just got all their differences? Powerlifters themselves are pretty cool. It's the people that run the federations. Sure. Most, most of them are for-profit federations. There's people making money off this. Yeah. They're not going to stop. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, that's the unfortunate reality. I mean, obviously, you know, as we said at the beginning, somebody's got to make a buck. Like, some, there has to yeah. be, at a certain point, someone's got to turn a profit. Sure. Even, but, uh, even some of the non-for-profits, people are getting salaries and stuff. Sure. That's fine. As long as they're a good federation, as long as the judging is good, as long as everything's good. It's not, it's not a dictatorship. Once you put on a blazer or put up a certain patch on, it doesn't make you better than the lifters. As long <laughs> right. as they don't, as, as long as they remember that, then there's not a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I actually, I, and this is my, my classic plug. So I was talking to him today, you know, I think of, of Bill Gillespie's fed uh, or William Clary is the, is the Federation director for three, six, five strong. And they're doing these backyard meets right now in the midst of as stuff starts reopening, you know, letting five to 15 lifters together. Um, and I think that's a federation where, yeah, his whole point, he's like, yeah, look, we're a small fed. We get it. Obviously, we're not the USAPL. We're not SPF. We're not RPS. But we want it to be an opportunity where lifters can feel like they're improving upon themselves instead of, hey, we want you to drop 250 bucks in total to come compete at this thing to be on a platform for less than five minutes, you know? Yeah. It's got to be fun and someone to, for someone to keep doing it mm-hmm. after the first meet. They've had to have a good experience. Yeah. Because we see so many are just going to compete once, and then they're like, oh, man, that kind of sucked. That was high pressure, and they never do it again. Yeah. They're like, "Uh, that really wasn't really for me. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to go back and train. Yeah. Yeah, because they're like, oh, I can have more fun in the gym. 
Yeah. I can have my own stuff. Like people can support me. I don't really want to do this whole competing thing. Cause yep. it is pressure. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like the apprehension, there's a the fun level to it, but there's still that, especially in the first couple of comps where you do get people that are like, they wake up in the morning in a cold sweat. <laughs> Cause they're like, Oh, some, I know that I squat ass to grass. But like, what if for some weird reason I don't do it, <laughs> you know, and I don't get the yeah. lift. Yeah. Everyone's like that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't change. Well, and I, I've seen, you know, before you've mentioned there's a, a fine line for you between apprehension and fear that you weren't afraid yeah. of that weight. You were just apprehensive because you knew you were going to crush it. Yeah. I never thought I was going to ever get hurt. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't, you would, your, your approach and intent, intent would be completely different then. You'd probably make yourself get hurt. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. If you're nervous, you're going to get hurt. You're going to end up doing something that actually is going to get you hurt. Yeah. Yeah. So training, training with the intention of knowing, Hey, you know what? I'm not going to get hurt because I'm following the plan. I'm yeah. going to recover. Right. I'm going to compete well because I follow the plan. There you go. Well, so a, a couple, you know, questions I ask people towards the end. Um, you know, obviously this is faith fitness and French toast. Everyone I bring on, we, we all know fitness. Everybody's going to talk fitness, of course. Yeah. But you know, one of the questions I love asking people, you know, it's kind of this faith question. Um, obviously I'm a, I'm a Christian. I never you know, profess to push that on anyone, but I wonder for you, if at all, how is your own personal faith worldview perspective on the world around you played into your training and played into your competitions? Well, my middle name is Ignatius for St. Mm-hmm. Ignatius. Yeah. So I was a South side Irish, mm-hmm. a good little Catholic boy. So I have a certain amount of inherent guilt already on me because I'm Catholic. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it really just comes down to being a really good person. Yeah. You know, that do unto others and all, everything is like, just be a really, really good person. Don't be a dick. And everything good happens to you. Good karma, whatever you want to, whatever anyone wants to call it is fine with me. I don't care what religion you are, what anything as long as you're really good, good things happen to you. Everything around you is good. You look better. You feel better. People look at you and they, they feel better just by looking at you like, that is a nice guy. They can just look at you and tell. Mm-hmm. Um, my worldview is, is pretty much the same, you know. I just look at it as, uh, like, with all the shit going on now. Yeah. I never really looked at it as, you know, different races or anything. I just look at it as someone's an asshole or they're not an asshole. <laughs> right. And that's pretty much, that's pretty much it. My, I had really cool parents. Um, and I mean, I always, I always lifted in, in gyms that were always a mix of the rainbow coalition, wherever I went mm-hmm. and everyone got along and teased the hell out of each other for fun all the time. Yeah. So no, you know, I, I the, the South siders here have a different perspective because they weren't, they were subjected to it way differently than everyone else in the world were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And, and I get that actually better than most. Um, you know, for those that are, that are listening, that may not know me that well, I grew up overseas in Ireland. My parents are missionaries over there. So I always appreciate chatting with a, with a good Irishman. Um, but hey, get this when I went over there the last time, a few years back and did a whole bunch of seminars all over the place mm-hmm. besides it being gorgeous. Of course. Um, I went by the, uh, I went to Brother Rice High School here, mm-hmm. which is run by the Irish Christian Brothers, and that's where they're located. So we went by. It was really cool. Yeah, I mean they're they're wonderful people. Like they really they are. Beat, and they would beat your ass in school too. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> and they would be absolutely unapologetic about it as yeah, well. Yeah, <laughs> my dad went to Saint Ignatius High School, which is the Jesuits. Yeah. So they were even more brutal. Yes. Yeah. The Jesuits spare. Yeah. They don't spare the rod <laughs> at all. Oh, no, that was, that was either like, you will join us or get your ass beat. Yeah. <laughs> you will join us and you're still going to get your ass beat. You know, yeah, I, that was, that was more like it. <laughs> um, but, but, you, know, you, you, you appreciate that because you, you, you do get really good schooling and you learn respect. You learn respect and discipline. Absolutely. For your elders, respect your elders. That's not hard. I still, call people sir and ma'am and everything else if i don't know you i i have to don't give me a reason to disrespect you that's all yeah well and and unfortunately we don't see as much of that anymore you know because now it's oh my gosh like you spanked your kids what's wrong with you instead of being like 
This was yeah. something that was important. You didn't like it as a kid, but you do the fake crying afterwards, you know, and then you go back to yeah, the big crocodile tears. Yeah, exactly. Dude, I literally remember when I was a kid, you know, getting spanked. I'm like counting out how many times I need to cry for it to sound real <laughs> and then to go back to normal. Uh, it was it was the fear of getting spanked. Yes, that what was, was what was worse. so horrible. It was that, that talk about appreh- that's why we're not apprehensive about powerlifting meets. We're so scared of getting our ass kicked. <laughs> yeah, mom and dad at home. Oh my gosh! Yeah, you know, I got you're... in trouble in grammar school by the nuns. I know when I got home, it was going to be worse. Yes. Yeah, because you know, you know that you've they've told the parents. Oh, hey, FYI, <laughs> this kid, you, yeah, you know see, it's game see, over. No one, nobody is held responsible nowadays. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a, there's almost a, if anything, it's the polar opposite. Like they're actually being, they act like they shouldn't be held responsible. Like if you hold someone responsible, you're doing something wrong. Yeah, there's nobody entitled. Yeah. I'm not entitled to your respect. Your respect. Unless I show you respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're seeing that, you know, play out right now. I was chatting with, uh, I told Andrew Herbert, you said, hi. So I'm sure, you know, this will pass through the podcast. I he says, him. hello back. One of the nicest, <laughs> most dangerous men you could meet. He has a heart of gold, but he scares the crap out of me. I don't want to get him wrong. Like, I don't want to get on the wrong side of him, but he's the nicest guy in the world. I don't think he could. I don't think I, don't I could think either. could him up enough. You would be like that little flea that kept, keeps around him. Yes, exactly. You know, around the elephant. The elephant's just yeah, lazily. Not to get him going. No, no, of course not. Uh, I mean, he is, he really is just so genuine. We were chatting, you know, just last week um, about kind of the state of what's going on right now. And he said, man, at the core of it, it's respect. He goes, and there's just a lack of respect these days for anyone, from anyone. Everyone wants to be respected, but doesn't want to dish any back out. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so kind of one of the last questions I have, and this is one of my favorite, you know, to ask people as far as kind of tracking the human side of people. I'm a big breakfast guy. Like I can absolutely eat breakfast any given time of day. It doesn't matter. I wonder if there is one breakfast food that you could just eat for the rest of your life. Doesn't impact your macros, won't impact training, all that's irrelevant. Just of your own childhood favorite, what would it be? Blueberry pancakes with a ton of butter and syrup. My man. Blueberry pan- homemade blueberry pancakes. Are they from a certain place? What, what's it, it, so special? The blueberries got to be got to be inside the pancakes. Okay, okay. So not on top, inside. Yeah, on top is nothing. That's yeah, just, that's no. That's that's not just real. pan. That's just pancakes with blueberries. Yeah, that's too boring. <laughs> Have that's you, too I, much work because then I got to poke the blueberries and then poke the pancakes. It's not the same. Yeah, you don't want to work that hard for food. That would be absurd. Exactly. <laughs> Well, so, so what is it about the blueberry pancakes over the thousands of other things? What makes that so special for you? Oh, hell. Um, <laughs> not, not to dive at your heart or anything, you know, but, but yeah, I wonder if there um, is a memory attached to it. I don't, you know what? I, I remember when I was a kid when I don't, we didn't have a lot of money as a kid mm-hmm. for a long time. My father was just an accountant. My mom stayed at home. There's five kids. Three-bedroom house with five kids. Mm-hmm. Bunk beds and stuff. But yeah. you never know it when you're a kid. You didn't have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But I remember mom making breakfast for dinner. Yeah. Probably because it's cheap. And I thought that was just the coolest damn thing in the world. Yeah. Was being able to have pancakes and eggs for dinner. Oh, my God. This is so cool. That's a cool, that's a good memory. Yeah. And it is, it's that, it's that childhood. Everything is positive, you know, yeah. to it, cause you're not taught cynicism. You're not born a pessimist. You're born thinking, wow, this world is the most incredible thing that's ever happened. It's to wide me. open. Yeah. Yeah. That's remarkable. And I think, you know, we, we just forget that at some point as adults, we're conditioned to, to not focus on that anymore. We forget the, the positive memories and we focus on now, power and money kind of destroy that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, well, yeah. What people forget is that if you concentrate on being nice and still do your job and you can still go towards your dreams and goals and you'll have 10 times more and enjoy it, but enjoy it more. Yeah. That the people who tend to do what they enjoy might make a little bit less money, but their quality of life is so much higher than the people who sell themselves out to make an extra buck. A lot of times, a lot of times those are the hardest workers, but they end up actually making more money. Because then people like them more and people get more attracted to it. 
yeah yeah instead of the and people who are so again. consumed it's not like they're attracted to a bud like uh, a bug like and get fried and then they don't come back because they're dead you burn that <laughs> right. you burn that don't burn they burn that bridge but if you treat someone really nice they're gonna recommend other people and and so on mm-hmm. yeah that the ultimately it's the relationship that's what's going to get you far not Just it's not going to be the accolades nice you know people asked me before you know i did on the mark bell videos I get a little emotional. The, the, uh, the relationships I, I have through powerlifting for my whole life are the best part of powerlifting. Yeah. I can go anywhere in the world and have friends. Mm-hmm. Have people that like me. Hang out. Have a good time. Be respected. Show respect. It's all cool as heck. Yeah. Anywhere. I get some of the best guys in the whole world in Australia. I can go to Russia right now and hang out and have a riot mm-hmm. with the Russian lifters. You don't, you don't constantly have to prove yourself in your lifting to say, I'm better than this guy. I'm better than that. If you're really nice and you appreciate someone, they will appreciate and be really nice to you. And that's how you, if, if you, if, if I was a complete ass all the time, I would be remembered as an ass and no one would ever talk about me. Mm -hmm. If you want to live forever, just be really nice to people. And you'll never hear, but he was a dick. There. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good, I mean, I think that summarizes the episode really, because at the end of the day, you know, I remember uh, when I was, when I was at Liberty, a speaker came and, it might have actually been Ravi Zacharias, who who's since passed away just in the last couple of months. That he he essentially said, "Hey, do any of you guys know your great great grandparents?" And you know, you'll get the one or two people. You know, there's fifteen thousand people crowd say, "Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah." But most people are like, "No." And he goes, "I want you to let that sink in." He was like, "Because you may think that you are the best thing that's happened to the world, but a few generations from now, if you haven't continued to pass on that legacy, love people, take care of people, share the knowledge, give back, and respect." you're going to be absolutely forgotten and you're not, and your great, great grandkids aren't going to be the ones that raise their hands and say, yeah, I remember him. You know, I think that's sobering. I'm smarter than I thought. Yeah. (laughs) It is. It's sober, but it's, it's truth. You know, I think it echoes just exactly what you just said. That if you spend your time caring for people, loving people and taking care of them, that's how you're going to be remembered. Because when I do, when I do a workshop, a seminar, I don't just get up there and talk. Mm-hmm. That's boring as hell. They don't get to see you. They don't get to feel what you know. Yeah. So I make everyone lift. And I run around like uh, Lou Gossett, an officer and a gentleman. I'm a drill instructor. And I work with everyone hands-on throughout the whole thing. Squat, benches, deadlift. We have lunch together in between. Afterwards, we all just sit around and talk. That way, everyone let their guard down. They see who I am and what I'm about. And no one's afraid to ask questions anymore. Yeah. And it, it's so much freer and easier that it, it, it's then all of a sudden it's like, I'm not just Eddie Cohen. Oh, the goat. I'm one of the guys, one of the, yeah. you know, girls and guys, everyone. We're all one then. Yeah. We're all just powerlifters. And, and I think that's, that's what's so cool about powerlifting specifically. I mean, I've had countless conversations with people where I say, what's so great about the powerlifting industry is I can, I can just DM a lifter. I can just reach out and say, Hey, you want to jump on this podcast? I'm like, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to chat. Whereas I couldn't just text Drake and be like, Hey man, could I I get a quick hour? Cause obviously there's a different dynamic, but that's what's so wonderful about the fitness industry is most of these people are just so accessible because at the end of the day, we're just guys, just girls. Like we're just lifters. Yeah. Did you see what uh, what we just did online for No Kid Hungry? Yeah, I, I saw a little bits and pieces of it, yeah. Yeah, uh, Jen Thompson, such a much better person that she'd ever be a great lifter, even though she's like a bench goddess. Yes. Powerlifting, uh, unbelievable. She's way nicer as a person. Mm-hmm. She put this all together, and she got some of the heavy hitters, uh, Bart Kwan, Steffi Cohen, myself, Meg Squats, um, uh, Optimus Prime, um, and we raised money. And just myself alone, I was able to raise enough money to give 
28,750 meals to kids. Wow. And I know Bart and probably Steffi Cohen, and I know Meg Squats because she has a huge following with her ladies. Um, they probably even raise more than that. Mm -hmm. And then in return, we give back. So, like, I'll – I'm setting it up right now where I'm going to fly to somewhere. I think it's South Carolina to the guy that bid and at whatever gym he lifts at for a certain amount of people, I'm going to do a free workshop. So I fly in at my own expense, my own everything and give them a free seminar. We go out to dinner and then I fly home. That's awesome. And it might only cost them 20 bucks. Yeah. But the fact that they cared enough to donate is worth thousands. Yeah. 28,750 to be exact. It's unbelievable. And it is, it's the greater influence because you're doing it for something greater than yourself. You know, you're taking care of kids, you're feeding hungry families, you know, and that's. Yeah, look, if you look at it, what I, what I did with the 28,000 and then look at what the other guys probably got, we probably raised at least, we probably raised a couple hundred thousand meals we gave out. Yeah. A couple hundred thousand. It's unbelievable. That's cool as heck. Yeah. And, and I think it speaks to, to that greater volume of just what we said, you know, you're taking care of people, you know, you're doing things for a greater reason. Sure. You, everybody can go in and lift weights. Cool. Like, great. That's how you get, like, that's fine. But it's what you do outside of the gym and choosing to, to influence the world and actually want to make a lasting difference. There's so many people trying to destroy the positivity. We need the people that are willing to help rebuild it. Well, that's because their agenda is to be about me, 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 me. Yeah. Yeah. And as much as the news wants to, <laughs> to share everything negative in the world, it, it's nice to have that positivity. And I'm glad the powerlifting industry and, and you got, you know, Jen Thompson, incredible lady. I was chatting with Steffi yeah. Cohen just a few weeks ago. It's an unbelievable influence that people have. They just don't even realize. And when they tap into it, they're like, holy smokes, I just fed 200,000 people. <laughs> like, yeah. that's incredible. I mean, it really, you really think it's mind blowing. You, you have to respect the influence you have on people too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, last question I got for you, Ed, you know, stuff is reopening. The world seems like in some capacity, it's shifting back towards a little bit more normalcy after yeah. this whole pandemic. Uh, it feels like the riots are dying down a little bit as politicians are starting to respond. We're shifting back a little bit more normally. Yeah. And for a lot of people, that means, you know, they're going back to jobs they haven't been at in three, four months, or they've been working remotely. Uh, seniors who, who missed out on graduation, athletes who are getting back into the gym. What is the best advice you can really give people to grab the bull by the horns and, and really jump back in, you know, full throttle and, and get the most out of it? You don't jump back in full throttle. Yeah. Because you're not at the same place you were before. Mm-hmm. So familiarize and then jump in. Yeah. And you won't have a problem. Because if you jump in too fast, it's going to feel like shit. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's, that's, it's just like training. Take your time. It'll work itself out. Mm -hmm. Don't stress out. Don't try to do too much. Boom. All of a sudden it's there. And your, your don't do too much is now way in the past. And that now you're doing way more than your don't do too much. Yeah. Cause you took your time cause you get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good word. That's a good word. And I know I had the same conversation back to, to Andrew Herbert. He said a very similar thing. He said, you know, as much as I would love to grab the bull by the thorn, uh, by the horns, realistically, I'm going to end up grabbing the bull by part of maybe one of the horns and then getting dragged along the rest of the way until I can finally get back onto it. Yeah. I think that's a great image because it's true. If you jump back in, same thing. You're going to hurt yourself. Yep. Well, it helps him because he's the size of a damn bull. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> but he's got the gentleness. You know, when I was a kid, my mom always read me the same book. Uh, it was Ferdinand the Bull. Yeah. You know, the bull who didn't want to fight. And she said, Moses, be Ferdinand the Bull. You know, know your strength, but be loving about it. I think Andrew Hurwitz, perfect example of that yeah when it when it's time it'll come out yeah absolutely 
Well, folks, you have heard it here first. This has been a great conversation with Ed Cohen. I want to thank you guys, as always, for listening to season finale. You can watch out in the next couple of weeks. We'll start recording and launching season four with Stacey Burr. So you can follow Ed Cohen at Eddie Cohen on Instagram if you don't already. You can find me at Big Mo Powerlifting. We'll catch you guys next time. Hey, y'all, if you love that episode and you're craving just a little bit more, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Spotify at Faith Fitness and French Toast, or visit us on Instagram at Faith Fitness Podcast for full interviews, trailers, and more for the upcoming season. We have an exciting lineup prepared for season four launching July 4th, so don't forget to turn on your post notifications on Instagram and stay connected on your platform of choice to be the first to hear about guest announcements and early episode releases. With that, I'm Moses Allwood. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you July 4th at the season four premiere with Stacey Bama Burr.